It is uh, with joy that we anticipate uh, reading this passage together because we know that the voice behind this passage isn't mine but yours. And so as we listen, I pray that we hear you, that you would speak And even as we think together about this passage, that you would inform our thoughts and the words used to express its meaning. And so I pray that you would guard us, that only that which is true is spoken in thought, and that you would enable us then to believe all that is true, and that it would form and transform our lives into those who glorify you. This I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, and chapter 1. I want to begin with verse 23 and then read uh, through chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, 2 Corinthians, please, and chapter 1. Uh, this is the word of God. But I call God to witness against me. It was to prepare, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I've pained? And I wrote as I did so that When I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, this is a fairly complex passage, but it's worth it. Because what I think that we'll find here, at least what I think I've found, uh, is a relationship between faith and joy. A relationship that binds them inexorably together. They can't really, shouldn't really, be separated. So a relationship inseparable between faith and joy. And also... That same kind of relationship that is inseparable between joy and love. And then a relationship between joy in Jesus and standing firm in faith. That unless there's real joy that comes from faith, we'll find it a deep struggle, if not impossible, to stand firm in faith. And then finally, out of this passage, to see what our mission is to each other and to the world. Right? So all of that (laughs) right here. Now, um, this might help you. It might not, but it it helped me. So I'm going to tell you this. That when we read these letters in the New Testament, these letters of Paul and others, but when we read the letters of the New Testament, uh, we must realize that they're 
occasional letters. That's kind of the, 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 the technical word used for them, that they're occasional letters. It doesn't mean that they were written sporadically. They were, or written occasionally. They were, but it, it means that they were written because of a particular occasion. There was something that, that moved Paul, for instance, to write to the church in Corinth a number of times, or to write to the church in Rome, or, or, or to write to the church in Ephesus, and so forth. There were things on his mind. And so when we read them, what we find is that they're not doctrinal treatises or doctrinal essays. In other words, for instance, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, which is probably, we think, his most uh, doctrinal, systematically laid out letter, it wasn't his goal to do that. He didn't think, well, I need to write something that's really doctrinally profound. So I'm going to write to the church in Rome. I haven't done that yet. So that'll be sort of my, 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 my real treatise on justification by faith. But rather, he was writing to the church in Rome, the Romans Christians, to prepare them for his visit. And one of the things going on in the church in Rome is there was a division between Jewish believers and and Gentile believers. And so he thought, before I get there, I want them to understand how they're one in the faith. O-N-E in the faith. How they're together, unified in the faith. So in order to do that, if they know that we're justified by faith, all of us, we've all sinned, and we're all justified through faith in Jesus, that's the only way, then that'll join them together. By the time I get there, the matter will be settled. There won't be Jew and Greek, but they'll all be Christians. They'll all be believers in Jesus. So it was that occasion. Now, we glean from that. When we read Romans, however, we go, this is great. Look at how he lays out the doctrine of justification by faith. But keep in mind, he did that because he had a particular reason to to do that, to write about that. Even as we're reading through 2 Corinthians, in in the first chapter, you remember, we we learned about suffering, Paul's suffering. Well, Paul didn't say, well, you know, I really feel bad. I'm going to tell them why I suffered. No, he wrote to the church in Corinth because they were criticizing him as a sufferer. And he had to explain why he suffered. Now we read that and go, now we know why we suffer. Oh, good. In the same way, last Sunday, you remember, we read this wonderful expression uh, that all of the promises of God are yes in Christ. I mean, you know, if you didn't write that down and put it in your pocket, then, then you missed the point. I mean, you, you need a, that's, that's, that's one of those sentences in Scripture that we live off of, right? But, but he didn't say, oh, I need to tell them this, so I better write this whole letter about it. No, no, he wrote that in context. And the context was the occasion. And the occasion is they doubted his faithfulness. And he was saying, well, I'm faithful because God is faithful. And we know God is faithful because all of his, you know, so, so, we, so that's the same thing. As, we, as we're listening to Paul talk to this church in Corinth, we're gleaning things, right? That's, that's how much of our understanding of the faith comes in the context of these letters. So we need to understand the context of them, the occasion, and, and that will help us then understand why he wrote what he wrote and then to understand what he wrote, what he wrote, and then to apply it to our own lives. So that's, that's just a little background of how I, I come to these particular points. Today, there's a relationship between faith and joy, joy and love, joy and Perseverance, that is joy in standing firm in the faith. In fact, understanding a joy in faith, the joy that comes through faith, is to understand our mission. Okay, you with me? Is that we just too obscure? Okay, good. I know it's it's not that early. Come on. Um, so, I know it's a scary thing for me to look at my wrist and there's no watch. It's down here. 
I don't pay any more attention to it down there without one on my wrist. It's just aggravating on my wrist. And I want to give you some hope. Um, so, so, so that's the, so, so you know the situation. We talked about the situation, right? The situation, uh, is that just from this, we know that Paul had made a painful visit to them. Chapter two, verse one, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. So he had made a painful visit to them. And so you can imagine what that was, had been like. And then after that, he wrote to them a tearful letter. Verse four, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. So he writes them. So you get this painful visit, this follow up, tearful letter. So you, you realize there's something awry in the church in Corinth that Paul needs to speak to it. And we know part of it has to do with his relationship with them and how they're understanding him. But, but even more than that, just in the context of their very lives. And we know from what we've read previous to this, that they're questioning Paul's honesty, really, and faithfulness to them because he had promised to make visits to them that he didn't make. And so they're, in a sense, saying to Paul, you knew when you promised to come, you weren't really going to come. Uh, we knew that you promised to visit, but you'd have more important things, more other things in your mind. There's better churches than us for you to go to. And so we know you'd probably go to those Macedonians because you like them so much and you wouldn't come here. And, and that's what you've done. There you are in Macedonia writing us again. And uh, we knew you wouldn't, you wouldn't come back. And, and Paul made his case last time by saying, no, 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 no. My yes is yes and my no is no. I'm a faithful ambassador. I'm a faithful minister of the gospel. And God is faithful. He's caused me to be faithful. My, my word is faithful. You can trust me. So, so here, now he kind of lays out for them his, 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 his real rationale, what really went on. So notice verse 23. He says, but I call God to witness against me. And so this is very serious. Paul takes such an oath. He does it only because he knows that they're untrusting and so he's, he's not flippant here, as Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, flippant sort of oaths. So he's not flippant here. He's not just sort of saying this to get their attention. He's saying this because this is really true. He says, I'm really telling you, I'm standing before God when I say this. And I'll stand before Jesus when he returns. And I'll say the same thing. This is, re- this is true. Uh, if he were Jesus, he would have simply said, verily, verily, right? I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. In other words, he had made this painful visit. You see, he had, he had, he had sent Timothy, and Timothy brought back, a, you know, communicated to him that this, Corinth is really having difficulties again. And so Paul makes this visit. And he calls it a painful visit because it was a, a visit where he had to rebuke them. He had to call them on the carpet, if you will, spiritually, because of what was going on in the, there. And, and you get the sense that he wasn't well received in that. They thought he was being judgmental, perhaps, or they, they didn't. They didn't just immediately repent. And so, when he left, he left in a sense saying, "I've got to come back again because we didn't resolve this." And so, they're expecting him to come back. But 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 then he gets back and he starts to think, "No, if I go back, I could end everything. I could make it worse. I haven't heard any news other than it's still bad." And so so if I go back, it could it could make it worse. And, and if I go back, I'm going to have to discipline them again. We're going to have to go through the same. Conversations we had before, they didn't receive the last time. So I can't bear another visit. So, so what I'll do is, I'm just, I'll, I'll write a letter this time. And I'll write a letter that'll, that'll buy us all some time. It'll be patience. I'll, I'll show patience with them, give them more time so that, so that they can 
They can repent. And they interpreted that as if Paul doesn't care about us. He wasn't even telling us the truth the last time he came. And now he's in, in Macedonia. And so it's only because he likes them better than he likes us. It could be like this. And I'm going to paint a scenario. If this is too close to home, I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean it that way. It's, just, it's sort of like a, a, a father who sends his son to college. And he receives word back from all his son's friends that things aren't going well with his son at college. And so he makes a visit. And when he gets there, he finds out that's, that's true. Finds out his son's not going to class. Finds out he's binge drinking every weekend and there's drugs involved and sexual immorality and all kinds of things. All the, all the fears of every parent when they send their kid off to college. I know that some of you are getting nervous even now. Uh, but, and so he makes it, and he pleads with his son, but his son doesn't accept it. His son says, oh, it's just dad being dad. Dad's being judgmental. And after all, I'm an adult now. I get to determine my own life. And so why is he even here? And, 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 and dad pleads with him uh, to repent, to change, to, to get to class and stop this behavior and all of that. And, and his son will have no part of it. And so the dad leaves in tears and, and, and he goes back and he said, well, gosh, I know that... I know that I promised to visit him again, but if I do that, it could, it could destroy everything. I don't think that's the best thing to do now. As I read, so I'm going to write him a letter. So he writes him a letter. And the son gets the letter. And the news comes back to dad that the son's all upset. And the son's saying, I knew he wouldn't come. Dad's always too busy for me. He always makes promises that he's going to come see me. And he's, and he's probably visiting my goody two-shoes sister at the Christian college. She never does anything wrong. You know? So, and the father writes back. And he says, no, you don't understand. I, I was in tears when I wrote that letter. The, the reason I, I wrote that letter was to, to give you more time to think this through so that when I do come, uh, we can spend a joyful weekend together. And we don't have to deal with this. That, that's why I wrote the letter. That's why I didn't come. I couldn't bear it. And so Paul says... Here's, and, and, and this is how he, I think the father would say his mission is to his son. And this is how Paul's mission is uh, to the church and mission early to the world. He says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul says, not that we lord it over your faith. Not, he says, when I come to visit you and when I write letters to you and all of that, trust me, I'm not looking to find everything wrong about you. That's not why I came to... to, to for your joy. I came so that you say, great, Paul's coming. Can't wait to tell him what's going on in our lives. Can't wait to tell him what's happening in the church. Can't wait to tell him about our faith and how we're growing in our faith. And Paul says, that's, that's why I'm coming. And, and I want to share some things with you that will only increase that joy. Now, not to burden you, not to be harsh. No, no, that's not why I'm coming. Now, I know kids never think that's true about their parents. Showing up at college for the weekend. I know why they're coming, you know. Um, and maybe you are. But the real hope is when we get there, all will be so well. And we'll be able to share them our great wisdom about having been in college 80 years before. Uh, tell them how we use the internet. Um, but, thanks honey. But, but that's the real reason we're going not to, not to, turn over every rock to see what's under there that's bad so we can correct them, but to enjoy our time with our kids in college and all of that. And so that's the, that's, and so that's, but, but I didn't come to lord it over you, please. That isn't, that's not what makes, but I came not to lord it over your faith, but to work with you for your joy, 
for you stand firm in your faith. Now, when I read that recently, again, I'm, I'm often, as I've shared before, surprised by the sentences I read in Scripture because they don't go the way I was expecting them to go. I know it would sound a little redundant. It would be bad probably writing from a creative standpoint. But I really thought Paul was going to say, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work, for, we work with you for your faith. Not for your joy. For your faith. For you stand firm in your faith. Because you see, that would be consistent with Paul's ministry. Now we know that faith is a gift from God. But we know faith comes and is uh, increased through means that God uses. For instance, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And it was Paul's mission to bring to people the word of Christ. So it was his mission when he brought the word of Christ to bring to them faith in Jesus because faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. And so he could have said, I don't come to lord it over you, uh, but I I come for your faith. So you'll stand firm in faith, because if you're going to stand firm, you've got to have faith. And so to stand firm, or or even as as Paul uh, speaks of his his own mission uh, in the the book of Acts, for instance, in Acts chapter 26, as he's he's making his defense before uh, civil uh, leaders and other leaders, uh, he said his mission, verse 18, to open their eyes, the eyes of the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. And so that was, that was his mission. And so he could have said, you know, I labor for your, I work together with you for your faith. But he didn't. He said, for your joy. And I wonder What was the point he was making that he labored, not for their faith, but for their joy? When he could have said faith, and I think this, and I get this from what I read next. Verse 2, he said, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Verse 2, for if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I've pained? You see, Paul loved them. As he's going to say in verse 4, he says, For I wrote to you out of much anguish and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. And how do we know Paul loved them? He loved them because he could only be joyful when they were joyful. See, see love's always related to the joy of the other. And Paul said, if I come to you and I I pain you, you won't be glad. And if you're not glad, I won't be glad. Because if you're pained, I'm pained. The inverse, the converse of that is, if, in fact, I can come and make you glad, then I'm glad. Why? Because I love you. And I want to see you filled with, filled with joy. See, there's no real love for another Unless their joy is yours. In fact, Paul would even even state it differently um, in a surprising kind of way in verse 3. He says, And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. In other words, if you love me, 
then my joy is your joy. We're, we're, we're so linked together that how can I be filled with joy if you are not? But if you are, then I am. So I work for your joy. Why? Because I love you. I want your faith to bring such joy in you. And it isn't because I'm indifferent towards you. It's because I love you. Because when that happens, I'm thrilled. Right? That isn't selfishness. That's just, the, that's just love. Love finds its joy in the joy of the one loved. You know, the classic illustration that every guy like me uses, so I'll use it just to be faithful to every guy like me. But the illustration is, you know, it's your anniversary and Karen's going to say, you've never done this, so you shouldn't use this illustration, so I'm not going to look that way. (laughs) But it's like a man on his anniversary brings his wife with this beautiful bouquet of flowers. And he comes and he gives her this bouquet of flowers and he says, it's our anniversary, I had to do this. Uh, So here, I feel nothing in giving this. And she says, well, this thrills my soul to get these flowers from you. And he says, I don't care. Well, then you make up the couch for that night. Right? I mean, that's not real love. Real love anticipates. Real love says, I'm going to buy her flowers. I know she likes flowers. And uh, and I'm going to give her these flowers because when she receives these, she's going to be filled with joy. And there's that thrills my soul. That isn't selfishness. Selfishness is saying, I get a great buzz out of giving people things. I don't care if they like it or not. I don't care if it helps them or not. I don't care if they feel the joy or not. Oh, no. that, see, love is, always finds its joy in the joy of the one really loved. And so Paul says, I love you. This is, my mission isn't to bring you pain. My mission is to bring you joy. Right? And that's the mission of parents with kids, to bring them joy. It should be the mission of kids with parents, but they've got to grow into that. And, uh, and so uh, it's, it's the mission of, of the church, really, to one another and to the world. We're not here to condemn the world. We're here to bring joy to the world. We didn't do it, but I told Ty, you really should have chosen joy to the world to sing this morning. It would have freaked you out, but it would have been great. So if you're singing that in your head, that's fine. Keep it in your head, but that's fine. Uh, but, uh, but that's the sense of it, right? That joy, we bring joy to the world. Not condemnation, that's not our desire. But we have to be careful here. Because Paul had a particular understanding of joy. It wasn't that we simply have a mutual admiration society. It isn't just that, that, that I'm driven by your happiness and I'll do whatever I can to make you happy. And if you're happy, I'm happy and all is well. No, no, no. There's a certain kind of joy. And this certain kind of joy you see may even require us to say hard things to each other. Because it isn't simply a, a joy of, uh, that, that, that is um, the result of, of, of a cheerful attitude. It isn't that so much. I, I don't know if Paul had a cheerful attitude or not. I, I don't read many jokes, right? As I read through his letters, he can be a little sarcastic from time to time, but, but I don't read uh, lots of jokes. Now, I don't know that he has, he had a, I don't know if he ran into him and he'd be bubbly. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have that impression necessarily of him, but I, I don't know. He could have been. Uh, but, uh, but, but it's not cheerfulness, simply, simply that, right? Um, it isn't fun and games kind of 
joy that comes from fun. Being a Christian can be fun and all that. But, 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 but that's not the point. When Jesus spoke to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, he says, I'm telling you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made complete. He wasn't giddy. It wasn't a cheerful mood. But there was joy. And so the sense is, what is this joy really? Well, it's an eternal joy. It's a joy that can't be taken. It's a joy in all kinds of circumstances. It's really the joy that comes through or with faith in Jesus. It's the joy that comes because we know him and trust in him. And knowing him, you see, brings to us something. It isn't um, an indifference there's a sense of feeling. Now, people feel differently, so I don't want to give you, tell you how it should feel for you. Uh, but it is a feeling. It's something that we know. It's something that's true. It's, there, there's a certain elation about this that, that comes to us. And again, tempered and, and expressed by various kinds of circumstances. The joy that you feel after getting really good news is different than the joy that you have when you're suffering for Jesus in prison. But it's still joy. There's still something there. And it comes from knowing and believing in him. And it comes from knowing that regardless of the circumstance, I know that I'm justified. That is, I've been reconciled to God because even though I've sinned, my sins are forgiven and I've been given the righteousness of Jesus. And so I belong to God. He hears me. He knows me. He's present with me. He's sovereign over my circumstance. I know that. That only comes through faith. And when you get that, when you understand that, then you realize joy, a sense of peace, a sense of contentment, a sense of deep breath, a sense of, okay, whatever else is going on around me, when I capture that, when I believe that, when my faith expresses itself that way, that's joy, you see. Knowing that I'm adopted, knowing that I belong to him, he's my heavenly father, I can pray. There's joy there. What kind of joy do you have in the midst of deep tragedy? Only the joy to know that comes from knowing Jesus and knowing that you belong to him and knowing that when you pray, he'll hear you. And that joy of knowing that he's at work in you, you're being sanctified. What joy do you have in the midst of sin? Well, forgiveness, but also knowing that God hasn't dropped me, that I belong to him, he's at work in my life. And so even though I'm crying, I know still Rejoicing in what? In something, in what? In forgiveness and knowing that God hasn't dropped me. I'm, I still belong to him, you see. And to know that I'll be glorified, that a day will come, no matter what else, that a day will come when I'll stand in his presence and be like him and all will be well. And I'll know that, you see. There's joy there when we capture that. And that's only joy that comes in and through faith. That's Paul's point here. That's why you can interchange faith and joy. Because it's joyful faith and faithful joy, all right? They're together in this. Not Joy isn't the icing on the cake. It isn't for special Christians and special occasions. It's, it's for all who believe, you see. And we come because we have this joy because we know we're really loved by God. No matter what else is happening, how much we feel our prayers aren't being heard or answered at a moment in time or, or the circumstances are horrible around us, whatever it is, we know that we're loved by God. And, and this isn't pie in the sky stuff. This isn't something I'm making up in order to make myself feel better or make you feel better as you tell me and I you. But, but, but we, we know this, that God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We believe that. What could be greater than that? I want to get all of that. 
Because that fills with joy. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the man who was walking in a field and he found a treasure. What did he do? Well, he buried it. But not for the long term, only the short term. Why did he bury it? So nobody else could find it because he wanted it. And so what did he do? The scripture says, Jesus says, with joy, he said, wow, that's everything. That's my life. I'll die with it. If I have that, then all else is well. So he was thrilled. And he says, that is worth everything I have. And so he went out and sold everything he had with joy. Favorite baseball cards, right? His wife's engagement ring. (laughs) Whatever it was, he sold everything they had with joy. It wasn't a burden for him. The favorite things of favorite things he sold. Why? Because what was buried would bring him eternal joy. And see, that's Paul's point. Once you get it, once you have that kind of faith in Jesus, then joy is with that. If it isn't, I wonder then about my own faith. If that joy isn't there, I have to, I have to check myself. Why? Doesn't this thrill my soul when it's everything? When the apostle said in Philippians 3, you remember, everything that I have I count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count it, he says everything is dung. Is, that's as far as I'll go with that word. It's just dung, right? And it's garbage, it's rubbish. And so... I've lost all of that because look at what I've gained. The loss of joy there isn't to be compared with the gain of joy here because that's temporary. This is eternal. And so I, have to, I think in my own life, how is it that I can be a man who believes in Jesus and doesn't have this joy? I should. They should go together, right? Not to is... is, is, is Incongruent, it, 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 it's inconsistent, I should. So I need to think that through without getting that, that, that joy. Paul wrestled with this. I, I, I read this passage earlier. You didn't know why I read it, so you weren't really paying attention for this. But in Philippians and, and chapter 1, it's this wonderful discourse of, of Paul. He's in prison. He knows he's going to be delivered, but he doesn't know if he's going to die delivered or if he's going to be delivered delivered, right? And so he begins to think this through. Well, I'm going to be delivered either into the presence of Jesus or into your presence, one of the two. And he says, so which is better? He says, I don't know. Because they both produce joy. Now, it'd be better to be in the presence of Jesus. That's, that's gain. But, but, but if I'm released and I go into your presence, there's joy there. Why? Notice how he puts it. He says that um, I'm hard-pressed between the two, verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That, that's the same expression, same understanding that there's faith, but there's joy. And he says, what drives me? I'm not here to lord it over your faith. I'm here to bring you joy. And so this joy, you see, comes from knowing and believing in Jesus. And he says, I'm going to labor for that. 
I'm going to work with you in that. And when that comes, that makes me as joyful, as happy even, as being in the presence of Jesus. So, either way. Either way. In the presence of Jesus or in the presence of you as you're progressing in the joy of this faith. That's it, you see. All right, now how then do we come to uh, this, this place? Well, we do it by fostering in our own lives this truth about Jesus, to meditate upon it, to think it through. And, and, and you know, I'm going to give you the list, and you know the list. All right, you, you read the Bible. And hopefully you read the Bible together. We read the Bible together. That always helps. And so we read the Bible, and we read the Bible together. We should be focusing our attention on the greatness of God, the glory of God, the wonder of the gospel, the person of Jesus. And how it is that he came for us and gave himself for us and now lives to intercede for us. And how that makes ultimately all things well in life and on the new heavens and the new earth and all of that. And our hope and what we look forward to. And just the great blessing we have of knowing that, that, that he is for us. That's who, what could be against us in comparison to that. And even though there's great things against it at any moment in time, whether it's health or whether it's other people or whether it's the culture, whether it's the politics or, or whatever it is, we know that he's for us. And we ask the question, well, how do I know that? I mean, I mean, he shouldn't be for me. I'm not always for him. I mean, why is he for me? And the answer is because he's him. Because he's the son of God. He was faithful. And he gave himself for us. See, honestly, I love you all, but you shouldn't be able to come to church without a smile, even on a bad day. And I know there's bad days and we can't really smile and all that, but you know what I mean. I mean, somewhere in here, when, when, when we come into this place together, when we sit down to open the scripture, there, there needs to be something glowing. There needs to be something in there that says, oh, this is going to be great because I'm going to think about Jesus. Not because Bill's up there. That's not so great. But I'm going to think about Jesus and that will be great, you see. That will thrill my soul. The expectation should be high. Not because of the place, not because of the person, but because of Jesus. The expectation high and receive and leave the sense of joy. That's the purpose of it, of it all, really, you see. It's our mission in, the, in, in, in our friendships. You think about your friends as those to whom you labor with them for their joy in the faith. Their joy that comes through faith. Not just their happiness or their, 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 their fine right now, so all is well and I'm happy about that. And, and that's a good thing to be happy about, you know. But, but, but what's happening in the faith of my friends? And am I helping them in it? That's the real, that's the real joy. As parents, it's the same kind of thing. As parents, we can get so caught up. I know this for a fact because of being a parent. We can, we, we can get so caught up in the happiness of our kids. Oh, they're doing well at school. That's so great. 
Makes everybody happy, right? Oh, they got the part in the school play, or they, they made the team, or they're a star on the team, or they got into a good college, or they graduated from college. Even better yet, they got a job after they graduated from college. You know, all those kinds of things we glory in with our kids, and everybody's happy. But I can tell you, from my own experience, and you know this from yours, and we talked about this, that that's only a provisional joy, if you will. That's only a, the real joy in a parent's heart. Is the joy of their kids in faith in Jesus. I mean, that's the ultimate joy. That's the eternal joy. Without that, oh, there's always this, right? And so, as parents, then we should we should organize our labors with our children to make sure that it's that kind of Joyous wives and husbands and relationships together. There's all kinds of happiness and nice times and all of that in there. That's all good. But as a husband, my greatest joy in my life should be seeing my wife joyful in Jesus. And as a wife, she should be most happy, most joyful, most fulfilled in seeing me grow in the faith and the joy of faith, you see. And when that's happening, there's no greater, no greater. That's why we really labor. That's where, that's, and in the sense in our own community as well. Again, it isn't to condemn our community. It's to bring joy to people. Even when we say, no, 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 that's immoral. Or no, you can't do that. Or, or no, that, that, we say that because we love them. And sometimes we do cause pain. Paul even caused pain to the church in Corinth. We'll get to this in chapter 7, verse 8, when he talks about his letter. He says, he says, for even I made you grieve with my letter. I don't regret it, though I did regret it, uh, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. <laughs> you see, that's the goal of it. And, and kids know this about your parents. We screw this up all the time. But, but know this, that our goal isn't to grieve you. It is to grieve you into repentance because there's no joy in sinful living. There is no joy in sinful living. If there's joy in sinful living, that's the judgment of God. To allow us to be content in sinful living is the judgment of God. That isn't, that isn't his blessing. And so even as a community, as we interact with our community, we have to speak that, which is true. And we do it in love, not because we want to condemn, but because we want to bring joy. To people in our community, you see? That's the, that's the mission. Paul's apostolic mission is for our joy. So when we read the scripture, what should be coming from it? Oh yeah, we'll be convicted of sin, but that isn't the final goal of it. Oh, got him today, he feels really bad. No, that isn't it. Got him so that he can have joy. What kind of joy? The joy of forgiveness, right? The joy of knowing that God is still for me. Even in the midst of that, that, that that's, the, that's the mission of, of a church. There's, you know, there, there's no joy in, in big budgets and pretty buildings and all that. No, no eternal joy. The only eternal joy that comes from being church together is, is the joy that comes by growing in faith together. So can I, can I confess something real quickly? I got your attention now, don't I? All right. Here, I have to confess something. And this is, I'm honestly not being manipulative here. 
I could be manipulative, but I'm not here. Um, I'm supposed to write you a letter. And, and the letter is, I, I promised I'd do this three months ago, and I haven't done it yet. I'm going to tell you why. The letter is that I'm supposed to inform you that our giving has tanked as a church. I mean, it's just like a horrible year. I mean, we're tens of thousands in whatever color it is that's bad. Right? Red, I think, right? Except for a Christian, that's good. But, but, but we're in the red, right? Is that the right color? Uh, and so tens of thousands. It's like the worst year ever. We've never had this. And uh, the building fund is even worse. And so I'm supposed to write. Here's why I haven't written it. Two reasons. One is I'm just lazy procrastinator and, and distracted. But two, and this is really true, and those of you who know me know this is true. I'm afraid if you get a letter from me saying we need money, you'll give. But you won't give with joy. I'm afraid you'll just do it because you're a member of the church and because you're a good person and a Christian and all that and you're rich. Um, and you'll, just, you'll just give. And and. One of the reasons we do money the way we do money in our church, we don't talk about it. I know, huh? Uh, and we have the little boxes and so forth. Because we, we want you to give freely. We want you to give in joy. Not because we have some great program that gets you to give. Because, see, I know I can get you to do stuff. Sometimes I just smile. I go, got him to do that. But there's no joy in that for me. I'd rather not have this than not have the joy that comes by knowing that you're giving because it gives you joy. So I promise I'll write that letter. If you promise to only give because of faith in Jesus and it really brings you joy because you know that we're a church that takes what we do joyfully, seriously, and it will bless with all you give. So if that's true, then not me, but I don't even need to write it. I don't know. You, I'll write something. I'll say something like, remember when I talked about this? So there you go. So that's true. Because, you see, that's, there's no joy. There really is no, no joy, especially for an old man like me in ministry for a long time. I remember when I was a kid, pastor, um, I asked an old pastor who was younger than I am now uh, what his goal in ministry was. And I was expecting, because he was a pretty famous guy, he was a pretty well-known guy, and you know, all the stuff that everybody looks to, big church and so forth and so on. And he said, my only goal is that when I die, I'll see all my people in heaven. He said, that's the only Joy. Yeah. That's our joy, you see. Not to condemn, but to bring joy. But not any joy, not any happiness. Because that's the best marketing strategy in the world, right? Everybody's trying to make everybody happy. And we're so distracted being happy that we have no joy. Because we're savoring and worshiping Everything but Jesus. And everything but Jesus is making us happy. But it can't, and we know that. So we come together each week to worship, to 
savor Jesus. We come together to read the scripture. We come together to pray. We come together to encourage each other, even if we have to admonish each other, and even to admonish our community in such a way that we'll believe in Jesus and be filled with joy. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me, for us, that we really would get it, that, that this faith, as serious as it is, and it is serious, without it there's only hell. But I pray that this faith that we have will bring us great joy, so much so that others will see it, and so much so They'll ask us about it. And I pray that even when we are at odds with another, or at odds with our community in any way, shape, or form, that, that that isn't just simply because we like that. But it's honest because we know there's no joy in not believing in Jesus and following him. So I pray for me, for us, that we as individuals could be lifted up in faith in such a way that the joy that's in it would be for us and that we would, just like the man who found the treasure, would know that it's worth everything and enjoy. Nothing else would matter but it is faith in walking with Jesus. So be with us, I pray, in that. We thank you uh, for the joy that you give us in the midst of difficulties, uh, those who are suffering on this day, all kinds of physical and emotional and even spiritual and material kinds of needs and yet still, God, as believers, we can encourage one another for their joy. So help us do that. We give you thanks for examples of faithfulness. We thank you for Parker and Nancy Lessig's 50 years of marriage. And I I think of that and I thank you for them and our friendship and I thank you for their life and I I thank you for their example of faithfulness to each other and uh, bless them God and all of us that you would fill us with your spirit in such a way that we would labor in love for the joy in faith of others in Jesus name